Okay, no silly sound effects today, my friends. We're going to get straight into what should be an awesome episode with Nick from Molly Rose Brewing. Uh, we get to have a great chat about a wide range of topics to do with his amazing beers uh, and the great venue that he has, which we highly recommend that you get on down to if you get the chance and are in Melbourne. Uh, and we still have some tasting packs available. Uh, and as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, a special deal. These tasting packs are normally $105 for 12 amazing Molly Rose beers. But if you include the word Molly, because we're not particularly imaginative, uh, in your order, let's put that in the comments when you uh, order the beer, we're going to knock $15 off that price. So they'll be worth $90, uh, which is a great deal for 12 really interesting and amazing beers that you're going to hear more about as we go along with the interview. Uh, as ever, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please do so. And if you're not already following us on Instagram and Facebook, please do that as well. That way you can get to join in some of the amazing live events that we have. Uh, we've got some absolute rippers coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, most notably, Nunya Ur from Norway will be joining us live with one of the most fantastic tasting packs that I think have ever been put together. Uh, so we'd love it if you get to be part of those. Make sure that you follow us on Facebook and you can find out about those events ahead of time and that way we can get the beers out to you. Okie dokie, without any further ado, let's get ready and have a chat with Nick from Molly Rose. Well, we're going to be underway having a chat to Nick in a moment. Uh, we're really looking forward to this discussion. But one thing that I wanted to make a note of today, the Melbourne beer community has lost one of our very favourite people. Uh, Mark Waghorn has passed away uh, today, and I saw that on Facebook. He was a very good Bendigo boy, and he's been a very good mate to the podcast and to me in many of my craft beer adventures and so forth. What little it's worth, I'd like to sort of dedicate this episode to him and certainly to Nicky and the boys and the family, um, whatever we can do to support you, just like he supported so many people in the craft beer industry in Melbourne, uh, we would be very, very, very happy to do. So all of our love to that family tonight. Um, with that somewhat sombre start, uh, we're joined for many happy times uh, tonight with some amazing beers, some great beers in our tasting pack uh, by Nick Sandery from Molly Rose. Nick, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you, David. Thanks very much for having me. It is our pleasure. You've been uh, exceptionally generous in what we've managed to get into the pack. It's a really diverse range of beers that we get to talk about tonight. And we're going to talk about four of them. We're going to kick off with a Rattler, and I don't think we've ever kicked off with a Rattler before, but perhaps before we really start to talk about what that means, can you paint, particularly for our interstate and overseas listeners, a bit of a picture about where the brewery is and the environment around it and what it feels like when we walk in the front door? Yeah, I, sh I sure can. So um, uh, we are a really little brewery uh, based in uh, Collingwood, which is in the inner north of uh, in the north of Melbourne, uh, and the inner north is kind of um, a hub for uh, the the laneways that Melbourne is known for. Kind of grungy, alternative, but really massive hub of great food and drink. 
uh, in the last five years or so, it's really become a hub of um, good beer as well. We've got five or six breweries within about uh, one kilometre of each other. Um, so we're on Wellington Street, which is kind of a, a, a side street away from Smith and, Smith and Brunswick, which are the main main two streets. And yeah, I guess we're in a, a 200 square metre warehouse, um, which is quite small. If uh, people don't know, it's, it's pretty much on the on the bottom end of what you'd see for a brew pub. Uh, uh, for that reason, you walk in and you see some tanks down the side and you see people pretty much sitting up against them. Uh, and we've got a big bar um, where when we launched, the goal was to have lots of people sitting at the bar chatting to the people serving the beer, talking about beer, hanging out, getting some really good service, really good hospitality, because uh, that's what we're all about. It's having a great hospitality experience. Um, unfortunately, COVID kind of took away the bar seating. Um, yep. But Not an still... uncommon story, but it's coming back. Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, so you see a whole bunch of uh, barrels right at the front door. So we've got a lot of ex-wine barrels. Uh, and then, yeah, we've got five stainless steel tanks down the side of the brewery, uh, all jammed in. Uh, it's jammed so tight that Monday through Wednesday we make the beer package the beer and then Thursday through Sunday or Thursday afternoon, we do a mad pack up and pack everything to the side, tidy everything up, turn it into a venue so that we can get people in. Um, uh, That sounds a bit bonkers, mate. That sounds like it's very hard yakka. It is hard work, but uh, I mean, we're we're a small brewery, so that's, you do what you can. And that's what we could do when we launched. Um, So, uh, I mean... Yeah, we do the best with what we've got. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we try and provide the best hospitality service we can. So when people come in, we make everybody welcome and inclusive, included. Uh, and that, that's what we try to do with our beers as well. We try and make beers that, even though they might be a little kooky, a little bit weird, a little bit strange, uh, they're still inclusive enough that anyone who has a sip can go, oh, yeah, I can see what you're trying to do there. It's not going to blow my head off. It's not going to rule my tongue. I don't need to be a Cicerone to enjoy it. Um, their beers that are uh, that are inclusive. So so, I'm going to interrupt you because we've, we've already got a question here in the Zoom Room chat. Um, this is one of the great things. If you join us live on the Zoom Room, you get to, to type in your questions. We've got one from Crofty. I'm going to ask it on his behalf about he remembers a friend of his telling him that they'd been to a, a tasting uh, out at the brew pub and that there was a, a matching with uh, potato crisps and things like that. Is that yeah, a bit that of a really the kind of the, the similar sort of ethos coming through there? Yeah, well, that was just us trying to not take beer too seriously. Because while, while we do make a lot of food beers and we love pairing them with fine food and uh, even just any type of food, uh, we love doing the, the multiple course paired beer dinners. Beer doesn't have to be paired with expensive cheese or uh, chef food. It, it goes great with chips. Like... <laughs> And beer is fantastic with chips. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we invited a whole bunch of breweries along to kind of choose a beer and then match a chip to it. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've never eaten a chip with beers before, so I must I must give that a go sometime. It sounds like a very interesting experience. There you go. Um, I, I thought also learning a bit about the name that you chose for the brewery would also give us an early insight into a bit of the ethos. Can you, can you tell us where the name Molly Rose comes from? Yeah, sure can. Um, so... Um, we kind of came up with this, this ethos of providing great hospitality, um, and inclusivity, 
giving the best of what we've got and doing the best we can with what we've got because uh, that's that's all I could do. Uh, before we started the brewery, before I could come up with a name, so I, I wrote down what we wanted to stand for, what we wanted to provide, and couldn't come up with a name, could not think of anything. I thought, all right, well, where those values come from? And I thought, oh, well, they've come from my family. My family's very hospitable. We love having people over, love I don't know, opening the fridge and what have we got? What can we do? Like impromptu, let's do it. Let's have people over, crack a beer, have this bottle of wine we we're saving. Let's do it. And that's passed down from my grandparents as well. And so Molly and Rose were both of my grandmothers on both sides of the family. And they were both really strong, really amazing women. Um, they kind of had their formative years during the war, which a lot of our grandparents would have. Um, which, I mean, would have been tough for uh, young women that far ago anyway, as it is, let alone during a war. Um, and then they raised their kids post-war when things were quite different and things were scarce. So, yeah, re- really, really tough times for uh, to be a woman. Not that it's not hard now. But they were, they were pretty impressive women that they still in their old age, when I knew them, wanted to give and give and give and were always open and would welcome people in and, yeah, in their own separate ways. Um, Molly was an English lady and she was very gentle, whereas Rose was quite Australian and pretty blunt, but they would both give everything they've got to their guests. Um, I love it. I love it. I think it's a great story and really does set up what you're all about. I guess the question is, why did Molly get to go first? You know, was there, a, you know? It sounds better. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty fair. Um, we're kicking off tonight with a tasting of one of your Rattlers. Uh, can you run us through just, you know, what we're tasting in this particular beer and then perhaps a little bit about the style, which I don't think we've ever kicked off with a Rattler before. Yeah, so I've always wanted to do a Rattler. Um, and I don't know. It is a weird style, and it's been done very badly in Australia. This is true. Germany. So Radler, it, it, it comes from Germany. It's a mix of juice and beer. It's kind of like the, the German version of Shandy, if, if people are more familiar with Shandies. Um, so they've, they've been done by big breweries in Australia where they just pretty much put syrup in and make a, a like a a lemonade beer and doesn't taste like anything. So I thought, let's do a, let's do a, a low alcohol lager that tastes really delicious and use some good products. And strange love turns out had just moved into this thriving inner North hub of Collingwood. Um, and strange love make some of the best sodas in Australia. I reckon they make great mixes. So tonics and gingers and things like that. But they Hang also on, it was going to be question it. seven was going to be pumping up the tires of strange love, but you've gone there very early. So, yeah, you, might so as well, you might as well tell us a bit more about them now that you've, uh, so you've practiced. I'm bringing it in. So I reached out to these guys that, that we chatted and chatted and chatted previously. I said, let's do a beer together. Let's, let's make a Rattler. So I explained what a Rattler was to them. Um, and they do, they do fantastic sodas. So I was like, well, I'm not going to try and reinvent the book of soda because you guys do a bloody great job of it. So we went through their range and chose the lime and jalapeno Rattler. And we chose the, uh, lime and jalapeno soda and the mandarin soda because they were both kind of a little bit different to normal sodas. And they both went amazingly in a couple of our beers that we tried. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that was what happened 
this is a, a really good beer to kick off with. Like it just again sort of sets the scene, just like your initial stories did. This sets the scene beer wise. Um, can you tell us a bit about the process? Like when when do you add the soda, and how do you ensure the carbonations and things work, or do you add an uncarbonated version? And so so what I pretty much did was we cheated it a bit because we don't it's not pasteurized so we can't add the soda back in because it's got a bit of, like they're low calorie sodas but they still have a little bit of sugar in there so what i did was i brewed a beer to kind of match their base soda recipe and then we added in the extra flavors that they normally use so it's some fresh lime juice and some mandarin flavor and mandarin uh mandarin juice in the in the Mandarin one and lime and some jalapeno, some really lovely jalapeno flavor. Um, so it's an extract uh, that they source. Um, so it's, it's, it's a wash. They call it a wash. So cocktail waiters do these washes where they extract um, uh, flavors into alcohol um, and then use that in drinks going forward. So this is a yeah jalapeno wash that we're able to buy and put in. It has an amazing kind of jalapeno flavor and just a little hum of heat in there. Mm. So so we chose their sodas and we used the exact great ingredients that we're, that we're using to make those fantastic sodas and put it into this base beer that we've made. Um, so 2.8% lager, we had to try and make that taste good to start with. Um, yeah, we've actually been speaking to a few guests recently who've been making mid-strengths or even things a little bit under mid-strength uh, and about the difficulties of how you really get good flavours into something where there's not a bigger alcohol structure to hang it off. How did that bit of the process go for you? Um, so we used some great malt to start with. We used Voyager malt, um, which has got some really fantastic. It's Australian malt out of New South Wales. Uh, which has got fantastic uh, kind of just biscuity, bready malt flavors. So we use that because if you make a 2.8% beer, you don't put much malt in it. So we had to choose malt that had the best flavor. Uh, and then we mashed really hot. So there wouldn't, there'd be as much residual sugar as possible. And we managed to finish it about uh, three Play-Doh, which is pretty high for a, a beer that only started at what, like six and a half Play-Doh. Um, and then, yeah, we fermented with a yeast that we knew would leave some really nice malt flavor. Um, and that beer, that base beer was really yum. It, it tasted like a 2.8% lager. So there's not heaps of flavor, um, but it was really yum. And then, yeah, we just laid on top the fantastic flavors that strange love had working with them on the, on the amounts. We did some bench top trials, um, which is the great thing you can do when you, when you kind of have somebody who's an expert at putting, sodas together and we chose the level of spice and the level of lime in the lime and jalapeno and then yeah the level of mandarin we put in and just dosed it in it it works together beautifully i've got to say and again just for a for a starter of a, for the night goes really really nicely um yeah, that's why, I, that's why I changed right at the last minute. I was like, nah. You did change at the last minute. You absolutely did. Sour. I was like, nah, <laughs> give Rattlers a chance. Everyone needs to give Rattlers a go. I, I can distinctly remember where I was for my first Rattler, which was in Germany, and I didn't know what Rattler meant, and I just ordered it because it was the first one on the menu and I was going to drink my way through a menu. Um, where do you reckon you had your first Rattler? I think... 
So I was trying to think about this earlier today. I think it was probably it was probably Germany as well. It was either that or when I accidentally bought like one of the I think Blue Tongue did it. Didn't oh, did does that? everyone remember Blue Tongue? I think Blue Tongue did it. I think I accidentally picked up a Blue Tongue at a party and I got What's that? <laughs> um so but the ones in Germany made me want to want, want to make a rattler because they're yum. They taste like fresh grapefruit juice and lager. It's absolutely right. And, and out of all of the things that I've ever seen sort of recreated over here, uh, and you're right, it tends to be, you know, lime cordial in something by CUB and they've been, well, they're just nothing like a Rattler, as simple no. as that. Yeah, so, I mean, low alcohol is becoming a trend and people are drinking less, drinking lower alcohol. So why not make a Rattler? Like, why not have a beer that's full-flavoured and have these amazing flavours because uh, it is hard to get a 2.8% beer to taste like a normal 6% beer. You can't get that much hop in it. You can't get that much malt in it. Why not lean on some of these great flavors that we have in Australia, like fresh lime juice and mandarin juice and things like that, uh, and try and make something that's a bit different, make it low alcohol so you can – this is all I drank throughout summer. Go to the beach, have a Rattler. In the barbecue, barbecue out the back, have a Rattler. And you can have two or three and not uh, not worry about – being too boozed. I, I think it's a, I was, you've really sort of stolen the thunder of the next question, which I guess is, you know, really, you know, why make this kind of beer and why make it now? And I guess, yep. you know, when we see other styles emerging and other breweries making things that are very distinctively not beers, uh, this is a really sort of interesting way of approaching sort of similar alcohol levels and similar flavour profiles yep. in a far more genuine beer style. I'm sorry. I'm passionate about Rattler. I didn't mean to steal your next question. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's exact. No, that's we we love the passion. That's 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 the point. And um, the, I guess you know, uh, give people a bit of a flavour for for other ones that you have. You're talking about the the mandarin and others there, but um, is this sort of part of the the range that you sort of see going forward? Is this part of the the core offering? Look, I I don't know if I'll make them through winter. Uh, so we, we made the mandarin and the lime and jalapeno. Um, we made them at the same time. Uh, they haven't been like a, a runaway commercial success. Uh, they haven't floundered by any means. Everybody who drinks them loves them because I'm actually really proud of them. I think that in terms of balance, they've got a great mouthfeel and they've got great flavor and they're very easy to drink and they're very delicious. But, um, it's really hard getting them past gatekeepers because of the, the problems we've had with the CUB and the lime cordial and the blue tongue. That was, so it's really hard getting them into stores and getting them into people's hands. Uh, yeah. But everyone who has it goes, wow, that's really delicious. And it's 2.8%. It's less than the standard drink. I can drink it all day. Um, so in terms of commercial success, it hasn't been a runaway. But uh, next summer, I'll definitely make them again. Very much a summer drink. Uh, I, I love it. But that's, I'll make it again because I love it. That, look, that's absolutely the best reason. I, I'd be really interested to sort of hear, given you wear so many hats, which is the nature of you know a, a small business like you, you're running. When you go out and sell this to venues, you know what's what is the pitch that you you give, particularly those ones who, like many people, haven't heard of Rattlers before. Look, it's 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 pretty much. Crack it and have a taste. 
<laughs> like, have a taste, have a go. Rattlers, you would give them the story about Rattlers being from Germany, being the German version of a shandy. Uh, talk about strange love a little bit. And then it's it's pretty much, guys, can you just play, tr- please try it? Like, give it a go. Um, it, it It's worth a shot. It's really delicious. <laughs> please, please taste it. <laughs> It makes I, I can imagine this selling itself very, very easily. And for people yep. who are, uh, it's a good little reminder for people who are listening to the podcast version and who haven't uh, bought one of the tasting packs. I think we still have five left in store, and um, it's a great way to experience all of the beers that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, and the rattlers in there, it's a great way to be kicking off and starting. So, um, it's it's a great way to be kicking off. Yeah. Um, I'm looking to my good friends here, Travis and Warren Wu, who are in the room. And Travis, are you going to kick over into doing the when life gives you lemons for us? I reckon I am, David. I, I decided I wasn't going to do a Warren and chime in over the top of you before you introduced me. But um, I was going to chime in over the top of you <laughs> somewhere. There it is. <laughs> there it is. How could you not? It's too easy. Everyone's um, playing their best game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Just I, while, I, we're, you, while we're you, opening, while we're opening the, the farmhouse ale when life gives you lemons, um, on the Rattler stands, I drank a lot of the Mandarin at uh, the bar we were talking about prior to starting this record, uh, and it was delicious. It, uh, I said this to Ryan at Hopheads the other week. It already falls in my top five beers of 2022. Oh, um, mm. And I think that's a big call, but I reckon come uh, December this year, it will definitely still be there. Um, I'm kind of surprised this isn't a runaway success. You know what I mean? It's like all the other guys who are producing salsas, this seems like, I mean, the, the, it seems like a better product. It's more complex. It's got, it's got like a ton of flavor. It's mid strength. It's like, I don't know why this is a runaway success. It's delicious. Oh, thank you. Thanks very like, much. And, and like, if anyone's going, if people are going to buy stuff with a Z in its name, surely Radler couldn't be too difficult to get people's head around. Yeah, it's, I don't know, funny. All right. I think everyone's probably opened the next beer and everyone listening to the podcast version has uh, opened the beer if they've got them. And remember, as David said, you can still buy a couple of packs that are available. Um, before we start hearing more of your story, Nick, can you take us on a bit of a tour of this beer? Um, tell us about how it should be drank. What glass should it come in? The aroma and, of course, the flavour. You're laughing at me because I brought up what kind of glass it should be drank in, I'm sure. No, it's actually it's a great, it's a great anecdote and introduction. So uh, uh, during lockdown, I don't know if you guys are uh, uh, familiar with uh, Kiralee, uh, the beer diva, uh, fantastic uh, beer advocate and wonderful person all around. Um, we're quite good friends. We've judged on a, a few panels over the years. Um, she ran some beer experiences via Zoom. So I was sitting in this exact seat talking about what glass to put lemons into uh, when life gives you lemons. So she... She ran some fantastic tasting experiences where she'd send glasses out with the beers and she would send a little um, champagne, uh, not a flute, what's the, a coupe. Is it a coupe? Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, so she would send a little uh, champagne coupe that she would pour when life gives you lemons into and say, look, this is it was the first beer off the ranks and it was paired with a, um, a lovely um, goat's uh, cheese. Uh, and she would say, guys, grab the prettiest glass in front of you, pour the beer into it and see how it opens up, see how the foam forms and then throw your nose over the top of it. This is... A, a champagne like beer. So drink it like champagne. It's really light and crisp, but it's got a beautiful texture through the middle and there's beautiful aromatics and then there's fruit and there's spice and it finishes clean and crisp. If that's not a champagne style mm. beer, then I yeah. don't know what is. And so she, had, she, she would pour it into the coupe. I am currently drinking it out of the can, which I did in front of her <laughs> too many times. Uh, the Wrath of Curalee. <laughs> um I like it in a, some form of stemware. I like to drink I like to drink farmhouse ales in some form of stemware. Uh something fine, pretty bulbous, but uh I mean any form of glass is a good form of glass uh for this beer. Nice. We um and this is going back a while, we had this uh as one of our beers in our blind tasting packs some time ago and uh it's kind of one of your more iconic beers how long have you been making it uh for and like how does it fit into your core range mm-hmm. so we made this in the first year pre-covid uh so the first year we were open pre-covid uh and named it before covid so like it had nothing to do with the shitty years that we've all had for the last couple of years um Although quite fitting. Yeah. I I I love citrus. I grew up in the Riverland, so I grew up eating lots and lots of citrus. Um I love using it in beer. It throws such great flavor, great bang for buck. Um and then yeah, I, I love Saisons. They're kind of my favorite beer to to drink and favorite beer to brew. Um so when I made it first it was at five point two percent. And it was me just wanting to make a like a, a ripper Saison with something a little bit different about it. Uh, and you don't have to put many lemons into a, into a beer. So this is a, we do a 3000 liter batch of this and we put uh, about 25 to 30 kilos of lemons, depending on the lemons that we get. If they're really punchy, 25 is enough. So 25 kilos of lemons is all we put into 3000 liters. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I think, the lemons pair really well with the spice and the crispness and it throws a beautiful top note on top of all of the rest of the Saison. So when it, when it came to designing a core beer, I thought back and I was like, oh, shit, that was a really good beer. I like it. And I was like, do I do a pale ale? Do I do an IPA? Do I do a hazy pale ale? Do I do a lager? I was like, no, nah, Nick, you like Saisons. You like farmhouse ales. They're not overly popular as beers to buy off the shelf as a core range. But I was like, well, fuck it. If nobody's going to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to introduce more and more people. This has got to be the James Squires gold nail. <laughs> Good call. Uh, so I was like, if you don't do it, you're selling yourself short. So we decided, I decided we, it was definitely just me because I was on my own, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Go to do a, a farmhouse ale. And I mean, the, the fruit kind of gives people who maybe haven't had a farmhouse ale and into it. 
So I was like, all right, the lemon farmhouse worked really well and it gives people an in. So like, I know what lemons are. I know lemons go well in beer. Goes great with Corona. We can give it a go. So drop the alcohol, make it a bit more sensible. Uh, keep the price as tight as I could by dropping it a percent. Everyone knows excise is a big thing in beer. Um, and then, yeah, it was a beer that I loved and I still love. And I've actually tweaked it recently and I've fallen back in love with it. Um, yeah, so I've changed the dry hop um, across to a different hop. I did a few trials here and there. Uh, and we've just started using in the dry hop uh, Waiiti hops um, out of New Zealand. We do have the tweaked version. Yeah, nice. That was about to be my next question. Thank you, Jane, for putting your question into the chat. Um, can you take us on a bit of a journey of the process? Mm-hmm. Um, what, is the, what does it taste like before the lemons go in? Like, would people enjoy it in that form or is it completely out of the realm? People would definitely enjoy it in that form. Uh, it tastes lemony already. Yeah. So, I mean, we use... We use some hops on the brew house. So we use some Ella and some uh, Cascade on the brew house. So hot side. And that gives it, I think it gives it like a citrusy lemony twang along with uh, the Saison yeast. And it tastes lemony before we put lemons in. Um, which, I mean, is fantastic, but it's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> a happy coincidence. Um, and we actually use this beer kind of as a blending partner. So we brew lemons quite regularly. We brew a 30,000 liter batch and we use it as a blending partner. If something's too sour that we pull out of barrels, we'll put in 50 liters of lemons to cut it back. If we want to put something into barrels and we've got some aged funky beer, that's like fantastic. But if we're going to put it back into barrels with some fruit and age it a bit longer, we want to bring it back to the middle a bit because you want it to go back towards that funk before you bottle it. You don't want it to go too far. So we put some lemons in and it's a really, it's got a beautiful mouthfeel. It's got some great spice. It's got some great esters and it's got a nice balancing kind of clean bitterness. So it blends really nicely with all these other strings. So it's, it's actually people are drinking it regularly uh, as I call them strings. So you add several strings into a beer Um yep. So people are drinking it regularly as a string in most of our other kind of funky farmhouse beers. Mm. Um, what, <clears throat> what advice would you give to home brewers that are looking at starting to do stuff with citrus? We have quite an array of home brewers that uh, come into the Zoom room and listen to the podcast. Yep. Um, what are the tricks of the trade that they should know? Uh, leave the pith out. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> I was I was wondering about that. What? Yeah. So so if we're leaving the pith out, is it just juice and uh, is it just juice and zest? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Because like yeah, and it's really weird. I love the idea that you guys use a little bit of lemon, and there's so much lemon flavour. And we were talking to our friends at at um, Little Bangs. Face Inverter apparently uses all of the lemon juice available in, or bulk lemon juice available in South Australia. So the way you guys, and volumes are different too, but, you know, it's fascinating that you both use different approaches to it and get some of the flavour. There's a lot lot of flavour in the zest. There's so much flavour in the zest. How's it, uh, how's it go in? Do you, like, are you just chopping them up, removing the pip, throwing them in? Like, what's the process? 
Are you asking proprietary secrets? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> um, so we, pre- we, we zest it. We, we, we don't do any uh, citrus additions hot side. It's all into the fermenter. Um, and it's towards the end of fermentation. We zest it and we use the juice. Um, and then, yeah, put it in the tank. Has that, has that always been the case with this beer or have you changed and tweaked the way you've added the lemon yeah, over time? Tweakings. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Uh, look, I learned how to add citrus to beer and then that's when I started adding more citrus to beer. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we do, we do things slightly different uh, with oranges. We do something slightly different with limes and grapefruits. Um, uh, but only because they're all like slightly different fruit like uh orange has you need a lot more orange so i needed like 100 kilos of orange to kind of yeah, right. get yep. this amount of flavor um and grapefruits i don't know i've found if you use grapefruits if you use too much of the juice it can be bitter as well so it all depends on the on the fruit at the time and what fruit it is nice i'm i'm guessing that your beer journey didn't start with citrus no. How did your beer journey start? Um, well, well, how did your brewing journey start? Yeah, well, two different two different questions. Uh, I'll start with the first one. Uh, beer journey. I'm. I, I already said I grew up in the Riverland, so I'm South Australia. So it's really funny in South Australia. Cooper's is just a normal beer. And it is somewhat around Australia as well, but Cooper's is just a normal beer that's on tap at every pub. And I think of it now and I sit down, I've judged a lot of beer awards. I've drank a lot of beer around the world with a lot of brewers who are way better at me at making beer and have a lot more experience. If you look at Cooper's blind on a table, you go, that's a freaking Saison. That's a Belgian beer. It is full of esters. It is full of just yeast character. Mm. And you go, what, what, what is this beer? Um, and it's got a bitter, dry finish. It's, it's a kooky beer. But in South Australia, you go, that's just like, it's like West End. It's on tap. It's what mm. you drink. So I grew up drinking Coopers. Um, that's what I drank because it was delicious. I liked it. Coopers Pale and Coopers Sparkling. So that introduced me to beers. And then I remember drinking at a new restaurant in Adelaide on Norwood Parade, if anyone knows Adelaide, um, a Little Creatures Pale Ale in maybe 2006 when I was like 20. And I go, wow, that's delicious. Um, it was really good in 2006, 2000. Oh, I was like 19. Uh, I just had to do the sums. Yeah, was, how much Coopers do, do you drunk before you were 19 might be the question. But, you know. uh, look, a little bit. I grew <laughs> up in Adelaide. Um, so uh, Little Creatures kind of started me on that further adventure because Coopers was a normal beer. I didn't think it tasted any different because I only lived in insulated life. as Coopers or West End. Um, or if you're really poor, you drank Carlton cold. It was gross. Um, so started, started, yeah, <laughs> started brewing a bit of beer, but I was a terrible home brewer. Uh, started chemistry and then started drinking a bit more beer, interesting beer when I was studying more chemistry in Brisbane. Uh, and started chasing interesting stuff. 
Um, and then got to the end of my honors in chemistry and went, I'd love to do a PhD, but it's not going to take me to any point that I'm going to get a job. I may as well spend four years working in an industry, become an expert in that industry and then move onwards. Uh, nothing against academics. I, I just knew academia <laughs> wasn't for me because I saw how hard that they worked and for sometimes very little reward. I was like, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not good enough to be an academic, but I could have done a PhD. It would have been very self-indulgent. So I went and studied brewing two weeks later. So I moved to Perth from Brisbane to study brewing. Uh, and yeah, got a, got a job working at little creatures. Um, and yeah, I mean, the rest is kind of history. I can, I can see that the science nerds in the zoom room are about to lose their little minds. Yeah, there's there's so many PhDs like, in this room. It's uh, probably the most PhD heavy, you know, cool room we've ever had. Hmm. Is, in, I wonder in, how many people did it in the prescribed time though. Did everyone, did any of our PhD candidates do it within their, <laughs> no, 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 you're good. They've all okay. gone off camera. Yeah, they've all yeah, been yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is everyone just disappeared? Nick, um, at what point in time while you're studying chemistry did you realise that your goal in life was to open a brewery? It was, it was, it was when I was going, oh, fuck, what job do I do? What job, what industry do I go and use this chemistry and do I use my science knowledge? Do I use this problem-solving skills? And at that time, I was a really bad home brewer, but I was a pretty good cook, um, home cook. I loved food and loved investigating how to cook things. And, like, every Sunday I'd cook a five-course meal for me and my housemates. Uh, like to that kind of level and spend the full Sunday kind of sourcing ingredients and making stuff. And I went, well, brewing is kind of the middle of science and food is science and cooking. Yeah. Because um, you need to have the art form of knowing what flavors are going to go together, but you need to have the science of knowing how to extract that and make the best beer you can to put those flavors on top. So I went, oh yeah, let, let's go and study brewing and, I'd worked hospitality my whole kind of university career to get myself by. Love hospitality, love serving people, love pouring beers, chatting to people, making them happy, give them a good time. So it was always kind of a goal to have our own, my own, my own space where we could make beer and serve it to people. Was there a moment when like you knew that it was going to happen for like, was it a slow build to getting to this point or? I literally made the decision um, and then two weeks later I was chatting to my dad and my dad was like, yeah, do it. Let's, let's do it together. Didn't end up doing it with dad in Darwin, but um, uh, made the decision. And two weeks later, I was literally on my way to Perth. Nice. That's amazing. That's yeah. I, I like those stories where you just start with your idea and you run through it and there's no, you don't second guess yourself and just, get it done and now the product is this it's amazing like yeah well done man that's that's oh, awesome i, I like those me. stories um i feel like i'm smashing through these questions and this beer and i've probably only been talking about it for about 15 minutes but this is amazing i love it um i'm gonna get to a couple of other questions but before i do what's the most rewarding part of your journey 
Um, I think when we opened up from a couple of those big lockdowns, so we we opened eight months before COVID hit, so we didn't, we haven't really had a clear run at it. When yeah. we opened up after maybe the first big lockdown, and you could see people drinking beer in front of you and enjoying it, because like we were we were slinging beers and we were driving around all over Melbourne, kind of busting our asses, hand delivering beers, and people were enjoying it. They were giving us great feedback, coming back to us for more every week. But to watch people drink that beer in front of you and enjoy it. That was pretty great. It's a great answer. Nice. Yeah, that's it's a it's a good vibe when you hear stories like that coming out of uh, the COVID world when you've sort of started your journey sort of within that world. I guess. Um, question: If <laughs> oh, you I just... were sorry, David, you go. Oh no, I was just going to sort of jump in and ask about you know sort of how you build up that bond with your biggest fans, I guess, and how COVID might have helped that, and how you how you work to continue that on, I guess, over, over time, because you've got a beer club and things like that, yeah? Yeah, we, sh- we sure do have a beer club. Um, so what, we were eight months in, and there was me and one other full-time employee when, when, when COVID hit, and we kind of went, what? And I had a three-month-old baby. Um, and so it was all a bit like, What? And so we worked stupid hours and the guys stuck by me and we kind of just, I was making beer and doing deliveries and they were just running the retail store and running deliveries everywhere all over Melbourne. And we just busted our asses. We kind of teamed up with a lot of local restaurants to do food and beer pairings at home. It was really fun. And we got, we built this amazing local community, which I think has come back to us. Like they, they are our best customers. And, uh, as part of, yeah, as part of that, we did, we didn't have time to do it then, but it was always going to be, we wanted to treat our best customers to the best beer we had. Um, and the people that stuck to us, stuck with us, supported us, allowed us to kind of make the weird beers we want and know that we're going to buy it. So that's where we came up with this idea for Cornerstone, uh, which is the, the, the club that you just met, David hmm. mentioned, David. Um, so rejigged it to kind of be a little bit different um, and relaunched it in November last year. And so we're not, we're not doing like 12 fancy bottles like the rest of the beer clubs in Australia, which are fantastic because you get to see these amazing beers and the kind of the character of the brewer through that. What we wanted to do was kind of give our best customers our best, freshest beer and put it in their fridge in the best condition possible. So every two months we send out a, a cooler box of beer packaged up really nicely. There'll be a couple of unique beers in there that you can't get any other way, but they'll also be the best beers that we've released and then the freshest core range beers that we've got at the moment. So uh, it'll be 12 beers come out and I think lemons is tasting great. So I might put it in this month's box. Uh, and then there'll be some 750 mil bottles of fruited sours, 500 mil cans of weird fruited sours and dry hop things and strange stuff like that. Uh, and some notes and also a website with the stories of every beer. Cause you can tell, I like telling stories about beer, um, recipes. Cause I love cooking. So there's recipes based on each beer that's in the pack. Uh, there's, there's food recommendations, but then there's a couple of recipes on 
what would pair with a beer. So it's like this Molly Rose experience, um, which we kind of learnt about what people want during COVID with this at home experience. Uh, and we kind of transition that into something that's post COVID get this box turns up every two months. It's a fridge filler. It's a bit of knowledge. It's a bit of an experience. It's like coming to the brewery, but you get to do it at home on your own time and you get the best, the best, the best, the best. And what we recover from that shameless bit of marketing from Nick from Molly Rose. Let me chime in with a little ad break here as we take a break in the Zoom room to recharge our glasses. Uh, with a bit of shameless marketing of my own, a reminder that if you haven't checked out our online shop, uh, that there's an enormous range of fun beers, uh, the Molly Rose beers that we're discussing here, and many other tasting packs uh, from breweries that we have been interviewing recently. Um, you can find our uh, store on Shopify. Uh, just use whatever your preferred search engine is to type Cool Room Podcast Shopify, and um, that's what helps us to keep the doors on the podcast open. Uh, this all costs money to do, and your support by buying those brews is what makes all of that possible. Uh, okay, without any further ado, let's go back to the interview with Nick. Okay, Nick, what makes a Molly Rose IPA a Molly Rose IPA? I guess we go back to, that's a tough one, we go back to um, balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to make uh, I want to make beers that are balanced and inclusive for everyone. So uh, I don't want to make an IPA that's so bitter that maybe a pale ale drinker goes, "Ah, oh, no, I don't like IPAs. Won't have that." Um, so it's got to be balanced um, and it's got to be inclusive. I generally like them dry with some form of bitterness. Uh, as opposed to maybe the Nipah style of brewing. I uh, don't mind hazy beers. I'm all about hazy beers. I grew up on Coopers. We've been over that. Um, so it's not about the haze. I like, I like beers to be quite refreshing and, um, yeah, dry. Uh, so the, 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 the beers I make, I like to be able to have two of a IPA and not have to force down the second one. That's kind of... That's my goal with the RPAs. Hmm. They have a good set of goals, I reckon. I think they, yeah. They, Thanks. They're, they're a good set of goals. Um, so this IPA has six hops in it. Um, should we be able to tell that there's six hops? What do they all bring to the party? I personally don't. I personally can't tell what hops are in what beer, apart from maybe like one real one or two really flagships. I can go, oh, this kind of tastes like this group of hops. And I won't be like, this is definitely like Columbus in this beer. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, oh, yeah, Sabro, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one, one of the several beer hops that you can actually pinpoint. But... I guess based on uh, Mitch Steele, uh, Brewer at Stone, mm-hmm. wrote the book on IPAs and he says layer hops on top of each other because they all lift each other up. So it's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty much a bit of reading I did on hops based on a few different books I read. You layer them on top of each other and you get this really lovely full-flavoured hop, hop profile rather than just maybe one 
jagged edge. It's kind of how I like to brew with uh, uh, all of my beers is like bring several things together to lift the overall goal of the beer. I don't treat any individual ingredient. We kind of think, think about the overall profile. You, just just as a quick comment, I suppose, do you think you get that from your cooking and your love of cooking, like that, that layering and that kind of adding complexity and, and things on top of each other? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, and it's, I know I, I think about when I, when I think about layering flavours on top of each other and building a big flavour, I think about an episode of Heston I saw once where he made this chicken stock and he, like, made a chicken stock and then took the bones out and then used them in a different way and then put them back in and double. Like he just layered this chicken stock to make the most intensely chickeny chicken stock he could yeah. ever make. So like I'm of the opinion, yeah, if you use a whole bunch of different hops, they will each spring something to the party. Obviously that you have to select the hops that go well together and mm. then you'll build this full palette of hop flavor and hop character that, that does great things for the beer. What's your favourite type of cuisine to cook, Nick? Um, so I haven't done much cooking of late, unfortunately, mm. with brewery and baby. Um, chicken stock, but... maybe? <laughs> What's that, sorry? Chicken, chicken stock, stock, maybe? Chicken stock. And have you considered I... the joy of a chicken beer? Which I, I make a mean chicken stock, I'm not going to lie. It has raised many people out of... Uh, the old man flu nice. over the, over yeah. the years. Um, favorite food. Look, I cook a lot of Indian food have done in the past. I cooked a lot of Southeast Asian food. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently this year, I guess this year and last year I've jumped into kind of Szechuan flavors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, that's my that's my food trend of the next twelve months. I reckon Szechuan food is on the way up. Cool. If you're right, I'm very happy. I have to say because I love it. It's yeah, beautiful. I do too. It's really it's really really freaking cool. There's awesome kind of aromatic spices, yeah. and there's the tahini, and then there's the chili, and it's like it's like it's completely different to other Asian cuisines because you've yeah. got like that massive mix of cultures. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun food, and and there's no and it's kind of like there's no um, there's no apology for how big it is. Like there's no apology for here's a shit ton of flavor. Yeah. Get that in your face. We're not apologizing for it. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. But it's also the balance and the layering mm. because of the Szechuan pepper does the numbing, and then they've got chili on top, and then there's the tahini with yeah. like the the creaminess, and it's like what. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. It's bloody great. And then there's top notes of the spice. It's it's fantastic. Love it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay, after the discussion about you not being able to pick an individual hop in a beer most of the time, um, tell us a little bit about Laurel. <laughs> we, uh, Laurel. We most of us wouldn't have come across it. I yeah, Laurel, I don't think anybody in the world could pick because – the way I've heard it described is it's become, it started off really slow. It's an American hop. Mm-hmm. Um, I was chatting to one of the kind of hop scientists at Yakima Chief and he goes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real up and comer. A lot of people have started using it. It's, we've had a huge boost in growth and sales in Laurel when it started really slow because they've found that it helps lift 
other hops around the outside of it. It fills in gaps and lifts the other flavors of other hops. Um, so it's a great um, supporting actor. Let's go supporting actor. Uh-huh. Yeah, love it. Um, yeah, yeah. That that's that's what they said. I was like, wow, that's bloody great, and I've found it, and I've found that it it works really well as a supporting actor in in a lot of beers that I do. Cool. Hmm. That's interesting. That's really interesting. And you know what? I just killed my segue because, oh. like, we just we talked about the favorite food you like to cook, mm-hmm. um, and I could have quite easily gone on to your favorite beer styles that you like to make but I stuffed it up by talking about Laurel. But, yeah, let's go back to that. What are your favourite styles of beer you'd like? You, you're enjoying making and drinking and you're really getting into it. and even other breweries who are doing stuff that you, you like you like drinking and doing. So I, I love saisons and farmhouse sales. Mm-hmm. I love to drink them, love to make them, love the challenge of um, mixed fermentation and blending young beers and old beers and thinking about that. Um, so when life gives you lemons, it's, it's a very yeast driven beer. And so I love the fact that you can get a lot of flavor out of a yeast. It just kind of, I've been making beer for a long time, but it just blows my mind that this microorganism makes all of the deliciousness. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. Whereas a lot, you go. No, uh, like a, a lot of other beers lean on hops or malt, but like farmhouse ales with the, the yeast. Uh, yeah, that, that was all I was going to say. Sorry. Cool. No, no, don't apologize. That was, yeah, that little point's quite interesting. Like you're right. Yeah. We, we do talk about hops a lot and we talk about malts a lot, but yeah, it's it, less so yeast. We don't, ne- we don't nearly talk about yeast as much. Um, is there, okay. So on that, Apart from farmhouse ales, is there a style of beer you would love people to drink more of? Is there something you produce that you'd just go, and not uh, hopefully not, if, it could be commercial reasons, I don't give a shit, but like is there, a, is there something that you just go, God, I wish people would drink this. It's delicious. It's amazing. Um, well, apart, apart from Rattlers. And- yeah, apart from Rattlers. <laughs> yeah, we're, all on, we're all on that train. Yeah, yeah apart from those two, because I love them. Um, a Hefeweizen. Because that's that's purely selfish reasons. Because I want breweries to be able to make Hefeweizen and sell it really quickly, so that there's always fresh Hefeweizen. Because yeah. Yeah. it doesn't taste good after a month. Like a month in, unless you're Weinstein and you can get it to somehow last for four months in a bottle and still taste really good. But like beer on tap, a Hefeweizen, if it's over a month out of the tank, it kind of goes down really fast. Can I ask on that? I was going to ask this question earlier on because I get that out of particularly beers like Life Gives You Lemons and stuff when the lemon is really crisp and fresh. Uh, how do you deal with sort of the dating of your cans and products like that? You know, is, is that something you think about when you put them out? Um, it is, but I've also selected that beer because it doesn't age badly. It ages really, really gracefully. Saisons tend to really hold their flavor and develop uh, nicely. So young lemons, the young when life gives you lemons might have that vibrant, punchy lemon aromatic and it softens into like more of a lemon balm, lemon verbena, um, lemon slice kind of lemon curd, cooked lemon flavor uh, in a really nice way. Uh, And it doesn't make the beer any less drinkable or any less delicious. 
So I, I purposely, that was another reason why I chose that for the core range because I'm all about drinking fresh beer and drinking beer at its best. Didn't want to do a pale ale that would go downhill and then people would be drinking bad Molly Rose beer. Mm. I want them to always drink great Molly Rose beer. So I do think about that when I design beers is how is this going to age? Uh, how long is it going to stay around? What's, what's, what's the best thing I can do for the customer to get the best beer in their hands? Um, so yeah, lemons ages gracefully. That's why I don't have a Hefeweizen. <laughs> they do not so, age. So whose Hefeweizen do you go to in oh, yeah. Australia? Uh, I mean, they, they, there's not really many Hefeweizens out there. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Holgate make a really good one. Uh, it doesn't really get distribution. It's on tap at Holgate. Uh, I used to work at Holgate. I still work with them. We make some of our beer up there because um, they're great guys. They've got an amazing brew house um, and I, it's incredible brew house and I trust them to make my beer better than I could. <laughs> um, uh, so the, the Hef, it's a bit of a passion project for Paul because he loves Hef as well and the guys have a German brew house so they went over there um, to kind of learn how to use the brew house. And they were drinking great hef, and so they asked a few sneaky questions. So their hef has just got better and better and better. So when that's not, when that's fresh at Wood End, it's as good as hef in Germany. Cool. Big call. That's a, I love that tip. I love that call. That's a yeah. They're um they they did a 500 mil release last year for their birthday. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's the three pack. The the three German beers. Oh, it was for Oktoberfest. Mm. Uh, and yeah. then the hef can in that was sensational. Mm. Oh, oh, Mickey and Grace. I love that. That's um, so, so that's probably about it. Nice. I mean, Burley Hef back in the day when it was fresh, when I lived in, in Queensland, was great. But it's, it's just about freshness. Like, you've got to get those beers fresh. Mm. That's a very good call. Um, <clears throat> okay, so... Hef, I don't think Hef is on the horizon as the next great thing, unfortunately. No, it's not. No. Um, so what do you think? Like as someone who's mastered so many, well, who, who's done great things, I'm sure. I, I want to use the word mastered, but I'm sure you can't cringe at the fact that I'm saying that. But you've done, you do great versions of a lot of beers, like like interesting styles. Do you... Do you have a feeling of what's coming over the horizon, apart from Radler, um, that this will be the next big explosion in the beer industry? I, I don't, apart from the obvious one, um, which mm. a lot of you guys would probably already be on top of. I think, I think lagers have been having a resurgence, um, and I think they're going to keep having more of a resurgence. We're going to see more craft breweries making lagers uh, and we're going to see more craft breweries making lagers, putting them on tap, hmm. people drinking great craft Australian lagers. I but, think, I mean, that's an obvious one. That's not that's not me, yeah. crystal ball at all. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah. I don't have anything else. <laughs> that's good. I like the fact that you've just gone, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> it's, yeah. right. it's also front of mind because I've got one here. Yeah, oh, yeah and okay. that's what some of us had as our warm-up beer tonight. It's yeah. lovely. Yours is in the fridge and waiting to, yeah, I'm, I'm savouring that one. I've got a couple other lagers that I'm going to sit with it. So that's that. Your your lager is, is going to be in good company. Um, on, the, on a similar note, 
And I suppose Travis inspired this because recently he claimed that that uh, hazy beers are, are now are now a, a dying thing in his mind. Um, are there hey, any can, beer- I, can I defend myself there? I said... No, you can't. I said that I was getting off the hazy train. I didn't okay. say anyone else had to get off with me. I said that I was getting off the hazy train. Mm. Yeah. I should ask everyone in the room what they think about drinking stouts in February. I'll put your hand up if you'll drink a stout in February. Oh, look at all those hands. There's all everyone. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and Warren, Melbourne's uh, pretty cold. Just, just for the sake of, you know, for people who might listen back to this in a couple of years' time, I'm, ask, I'm wondering why you're asking that question on the 17th of March. Yeah. Actually, the 17th, we had a 29-degree day today on the 17th of March. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, anyway, moving on. Uh, oh, yes. And, yeah, all right, for anyone listening and who hasn't worked out that the 17th of March is uh, St. Pat's Day, um, yeah, happy St. Pat's Day from a former vice president of the Irish club at Monash University. Um, uh, who's, steer- who's steering this ship, Travis? Nobody. Uh, sure, nobody's David. steering um, this ship. I was this say... ship is heading towards the rocks really quickly. Um, so nah, let's, I, I'm going to skip over the question uh, about what is a style that's go, it's, it's going off the radar just simply because it was a nice opportunity to have a dig at Travis about him getting off the the uh, hazy train. Well, there's five minutes I can cut out and just know, right? make yeah, a nice yeah, please cut, the, cut all that shit out. <laughs> David, do you want to give us a clap and then you've got a point where you can delete or <laughs> let's just have anyway, a little back side. on the Set. back on it. No, this this is good. Let's stop and and move on. Uh, Nick, I love the fact you love hospitality. I love the fact that you worked in there and you you did like many of us did. Um, get you uh, got you through your uni degree. Uh, like a like it did for a lot of us. What is the most crazy, weird, fucked up, funny, awful thing you've seen in a cool room? And you know, cool rooms quite broad. Could be any sort of hospitality mm-hmm. or brewing environment. Um, I've got a I've got a funny one from. Look, I, I worked in a pretty scummy pub. Um, it was a it was a live music venue, sticky floors, good fun. Uh, I love it. I go back there and I smell. I, like I walk in, I go. <sighs> like the smell takes me back. Is uh, it because of the natural yeasts in the carpet and stuff yeah, like that? It. Is the that pinot gris smell that's wafting from the beer mats? I'm it's, curious it's, on what the venue is, given that uh, in Australia recently there was a venue that had the floor collapse most likely because of the amount of beer that had soaked into the floorboard. What's the venue, Nick? Uh, It's the Crown and Anchor in Adelaide. That's good. They're a long way away from the state. Even if they come over here with their baseball bats, um, you'll you'll know that they're coming, mate. Don't worry. And and the rest of us, we love the Crown and Anchor and would never say anything bad about it. The Cranker. Somebody knows it. Mickey knows it. The Cranker. Um, Yeah, Coopers on tap. Uh, $3.00. Schooners um, when I was there, very cheap. Uh, so not in a cool room, but in the – so a lot of punk rock. So it was punk rock, it was goth, it was metal, and different nights, different bands would play. Punk rockers were the worst because they were scummy, they had no money, they didn't shower. They were like, metalheads, amazing, best customers ever. Double jacks, yes, thanks, please, thank you, cash, here you go, out you go. 
punks, always start fights, little shitheads, always underage, fucking worst. <laughs> we went into the toilets and somebody had pulled all the toilet paper out of the toilet roll holder and put a goon bag in there. So <laughs> they went into the toilets and it was dispensing goon through where the normal toilet paper would come out. Fantastic. Innovation. Um, so not a cool room, but hospitality, closed environment. I, I am far too amused by that. That is one of those things that I'd be both so angry about as a venue owner and yeah. just go, you know what, well played. Well yeah. played. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's sometimes in that scummy fucked upness, there's genius. Like we have to we have to go there sometimes to, to see the brilliance. Yeah, it was pretty great. It was pretty great. And wow. The 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 thing is, they probably wouldn't have even bought a first drink. They would have just picked up somebody else's glass from a table. <laughs> Absolutely, but it does also make you think that you know somewhere out there, there is probably some very clever Swedish design expert working on how you could put a bladder based you know wine system into something that looked good. And some guy in some pub in Adelaide one night just went, you know what, mate, let's just jam this in there and it'll be okay. Pretty much, pretty much. I love, there's so many things I love about that story. It's just, it's just remarkable. And the fact that happened in South Australia too is a little bit of like, hmm. And they're yeah. ahead of the rest of the game, right? Like those Adelaide Beagles. So. Yeah. They don't have good drinking water, but, you know. <laughs> the water's terrible. <laughs> oh, how is it to brew it? Like that's a great question, Warren. How is it to brew with? Because we haven't we we never asked any South Australian brewer that we've had on. Adelaide tap water is too thick to drink and too thin to plough. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it doesn't make great beer. Um, so I know a lot of the breweries use reverse osmosis from like like Pirate Life when they built the brewery, they put a reverse osmosis in straight away. Yeah. They didn't make any beer without it. Um, I've taught pretty much every friend, family member who has any interest in brewing how to brew. A lot of them are in Adelaide. And a lot of them have water tanks, so they catch the water off the roof. And I say, oh, I'll blend it back in like for this beer, 75, 25, and we get like a bit of a nice mineral content and then tip in this kind of salt. And so we play with it like that. Um, I even make a dark beer and like, all right, go 75 tap water, 25 out of your rainwater tank. And we just do these kind of real rough water calculations. Uh, makes the beer a lot better when you use rainwater. Uh, there you go. There we go. Unless you've got a rusty nail on your roof. There's no rusty nails in Adelaide. Well, there you go. Oh, lucky. <laughs> uh, should we handball this back to David for the fig stout? I think. Or let me take control. Let me get behind take the, the wheel. wheel. Yep, I'm behind the wheel. I'm steering the ship. We're about to open up and start to taste the nitro spiced fig. Uh, we're looking forward to some more questions coming in through the chat in the Zoom room. Uh, again, it's one of the great ways you can join in. Grab one of the tasting packs from our Shopify. And uh, you can come and join us live 
chat with the brewers from Melbourne, Australia, from Australia generally, and from around the world. We've got some great ones coming up. Uh, so check out our Facebook and our Instagram to stay across all of those. This is a pretty fun way to finish the night, I reckon, or at least officially finish the recording. Because again, one of the great things about joining us live is that you can stick around afterwards. Nitro Spiced Fig, let us open up the can before we go to the room questions. Um, I reckon as you shake it, you can sort of feel the pressure build up a bit and that, you know, you can, you can get a bit of a feel for when it's about cherry ripe to, to open up. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But you, what you want to do is to to really build that pressure up and try and incorporate the nitrogen back into the beer because nitrogen doesn't really want to be in beer, so it's sitting on top in that in that headspace of the can. So what you want to do is try and get it through the beer and back into it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and if you have left it out for a while and got it a little bit warm, it will spray more. Well... There's only one way to find out. Stay tuned, listeners, as we all pull the cord on this one. Here we go. Oh, on the keyboard. Yeah, worse than that. On my wife's Apple, expensive wireless Apple keyboard. You can blame just per, yeah, obviously, this is great podcasting, but I've got to say, I'm very happy with that pour. I'm very happy with um, very happy with the smell. That smells absolutely yeah. cherry ripe, ready to go. <laughs> this has been uh, this has been around for a little while. This one, so let's. Can you take us on a little tasting tour of what we should be getting out of this beer? We love this, and, and we haven't really done it in one sense the way that we normally do it. Tell us how it should be looking in terms of the colour. If we hold it up to the screen, like a bit of white light behind it, what, what yeah, should be... Uh... So it, it, it pours pitch black, absolutely pitch black, and it's got a kind of, um, we'll say, uh, safari suit camel uh, <laughs> foam on top. Um, a nice, thick, creamy, rich foam. If you've nailed the nitro pour, like... I'm seeing on the screen here. looks fantastic. Um, oh, look at that. That's a cascade. That is lovely. Very nice. Yeah, and as expected, cool room listeners know how to pour their beers. It's fantastic. So. <laughs> um, Lots of practice. So we first came up with this 20... The, the, the concept was 2020 when Gab's was hounding me to kind of enter a beer. And I was like, I don't know what to enter. We make dry, crisp, clean, basic beers. They don't work at Gab's. People don't like them. Um, and so I go, oh, well, how about I do a vegan dessert stout? Um, because th- there are a lot of um, vegans out there, apparently, which I didn't know at the time, who would love a milk stout. Um, so we decided to use in the first one, it was almonds and coconuts. Subsequently we've used different things. This one's got coconut in it, uh, to give it a creamy mouthfeel along with the nitro. Uh, so this one's got some fresh figs and some dried figs, whole bunch of different spices in there, kind of Christmas spice vibe. Um, and the figs and the coconut go really nicely together. And there's some awesome chocolate in there from, uh, Voyager malts. We use Voyager 
roasted in the same week that they get shipped to you. Just cannot speak highly enough about their malts. They're fantastic and they're good people too. Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a fun beer. Didn't want to make it too thick and sweet. 6% wanted to be sessionable. You want to have two or three of these, um, like all of our beers. So yeah, 6% coconutty, spicy, still very drinkable. This tastes amazing. I've got to say, I went to a venue this afternoon and had a uh, delicious chunked, fried chunks of halloumi uh, fried with fresh fig on top of them. Uh, this alongside that would have just been absolutely magnificent. Um, that little bit of saltiness coming through, the fig blending it all together. Um, are you going to be making more of this in years to come? Is this going to be sort of one of those ones that sort of leaps into core range land? We'll do. So I, ha- I haven't planned for another nitro dessert stout because we've made, we've made three different ones now, all riffing on that vegan dessert stout. We're using different nuts or coconut and some spices and interesting things. Um, we, we won't do that early in winter if our other beers, so I've got a nitro run coming up. Um, we get mobile canning in to do some nitro cans. We're going to do the dark mild again, uh, which is, oh, that's, that's a trend that's on its way that I should have mentioned. Dark milds, milds, English milds. They're on their way. They're never going to be very popular, but they're on their way. Fantastic. (laughs) They're they're on their way from complete obscurity to somewhat known. Yeah, exactly. Like awesome fruity yeast character. Great malt character, very drinkable, low alcohol, amazing beers. So this will be our third time doing the Dark Nitro, and I think we're going to do some kind of ESB thing as well instead of the Stout. Um, so maybe Stout comeback? Don't know. Good there should be more well, ESBs on the market. This this is delicious. It is. I love the fact that it's not, uh, it's not like a sugary, sweet... Um, Kind of like I like the fact that it's dry and and has this real lovely line of flavour, but it's not it's not like rich and kind of Christmassy. You could definitely drink this in February. Yeah, I'd I'd say you could absolutely drink it in February. I think you could. Like I, I was mentioning before, I, I like to drink it uh, reasonably on the cold side. Yeah. Uh, just because it's the style of beer, I think I think you can. Absolutely. Can I ask, like, again, we have a real mix of listeners on here, people who are experts and who've uh, brewed a lot themselves and who've tasted more craft beers than I've had hot dinners, but we some people who are sort of newer into it. So when you start to brew with nitro and you're talking about bringing in the canning line and so forth, what kind of challenges does that present? And like, quite genuinely, can you just sort of describe what a, what a brewing night or a canning day, I should say, looks like? when you're putting things in with nitrate? Yeah, so pretty much when we make, when we make normal beers, um, like a lager or something, generally you force carbonate it by forcing CO2 into it or putting CO2 onto the top and it dissolves into the beer. And beer is reasonably happy to accept that CO2 and it holds it in there. That's why you can have a sip and you've got a fizzy beer. And you can... You can put that beer into cans. If it's nice and cold, the CO2 won't come out. If you keep it really cold, you're really gentle with the beer as it goes into the can, you can get it in the can, put the lid on, and it won't come out, and then you've got fizzy beer forever. With nitro, it doesn't like dissolving into the beer, like I said before. 
So what you've got to do is you don't carbonate the beer like a normal beer. You keep it really low in carbonation, just a tiny little spritz. It almost tastes flat. You put it into the can. This is how, this is how um, craft brewers do it. The big guys do it differently. You put it into the can and then there's a little dropper that senses the can go past and it drops a little drop of liquid nitrogen on top of the can. And then you put the lid on and you seal that in there and they're like, fuck you, stay in there, liquid nitrogen. <laughs> uh, and it becomes... Oh, gee, I wish I could animate that because that just that is perfect. <laughs> uh, and then it, then it stays as gaseous nitrogen. So that's why you've got to shake it because there's gaseous nitrogen in the headspace. That's why nitro beers are pretty tight usually. Uh, shake it, get that nitrogen in there. You force it. You're like, go on, nitrogen, get into the the beer. And then you pour it hard and you watch that nitrogen cascade through and give it a really creamy mouthfeel. And I guess you, you've sort of got onto the question I was going to ask next, which is, you know, why use nitrate? And I get it, it is about the mouthfeel. Is that right? Yeah, it's all about the mouthfeel. It gives a beautiful, creamy mouthfeel. Um, it softens out roasted malts. Um, so it takes any of the bitterness or astringency that you might, even after using really good brewing processes, might have a little bit of astringency, a bit of bitterness, and it softens it all out, rounds it all out, and pours that beautiful, creamy, foamy head, uh, which is just like, it's a delight to drink through. We've all had good Guinness. Um, some of us have had a Guinness this afternoon. <laughs> is it St. Uh, Patrick's Day? I didn't realise. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, again, just as a follow-up, before we start to throw into the, the audience questions, are there flavours that you think are really brought out by that nitro? So, you know, how, how does it sort of change your capacity to, to change the flavours, or does it not? Is it just... I am um, not an expert on nitro because I've only done I don't know, half a dozen beers with nitro. Um, I've, I don't drink them that often. I've found when I've had nitro things that aren't stouts, it's dulled flavors. So I think it kind of takes the edge off of flavors. Uh, a question just came through from Crofty. Um, what do I think about nitro IPAs? And look, it, it softens beers. It gives them a nice kind of like mouth feel. But I think it takes the edge off that vibrancy that you get from like a really good IPA, which is fine if you're going for maybe an English IPA and you get a bit of that earthiness coming through with some rich malt. Nitro, yeah, but for me, um, yeah, it softens flavors and kind of dulls them out, yep. which is great on some things. No, I, I get it. I've had some really fun nitro IPAs, but I think they're made by people who knew exactly what they were doing with the technique. Yeah, and it's it's not something for um, amateurs to come and have a crack at. And I say that with love for all of the amateur brewers uh, who come in and, and listen. We're going to move over into asking some audience questions. My good friend Mark has said uh, that he doesn't want to ask his own question. So I'm going to kick over straight away to Jacob Jackson. Jacob, you've got a good question. It is a wonderful question to ask when we're talking about stouts. It's a wonderful question to ask on St. Patrick's Day. Do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? And I'll ask Mark's one after that. Yeah, thank you, David. Um, I'll just uh, I'll make a quick comment. Just the dark mild ale, I love that. I bought a slow of it, so yeah, big fan. And I'm happy you're pushing these English styles that are unpopular, like ESBs and mild ales. You'll have at least one person buying them. Uh, 
Mild is scheduled in for another winter release. Oh, good, good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and your nitro Persian coffee stout, that was one of the first nitros I ever had that actually worked. So good work there and delicious as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, But, yeah, I was just going to ask about St. Patrick's Day. So I'm wondering, should craft breweries, and you're one of them, I guess, you know, should you guys get involved in this and do a dry Irish stout or is this something you don't want to go near because it's too mainstream? Because I don't feel a lot of craft breweries don't really go near it, you know? Well, that's that's a funny question. I um forgot Pat St. Patrick Days exists. I've actually got a dry Irish stout in tank at the moment. <laughs> uh as kind of like it's our first winter kind of it's not our first winter release, it'll be our first stout. We've got uh, a Japanese dark lager, which somebody mentioned earlier, the Kuro, uh was canned today, so that's our first dark release. Oh yeah. Me. And then we've got another we've got a Dunkel, a German Dunkel Lager coming out, and then the Dry Irish Stout is in tank now. So I, I love Dry Irish Stouts. I think I think they're delicious. Um, I I kind of forgot about St. Patrick's Day. It's it's almost a little bit early to release a stout because, but it's also not maybe not too early to release a stout because you get ahead. Because in Melbourne, I don't know if you guys uh, are involved in. Hospitality, bottle shops, bars, that kind of thing. As soon as the cold weather hits, people are like, stout, 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 and they start buying them and then they start selling them. So maybe next year I'll release, um, it's called Short and Stout for St. Patrick's Day. I, I reckon you'd make money. Yeah, there you go. I'm on it. Was- I'll put it in my diary now because. <laughs> It was like literally I was walking through the city today and I was going, gee, there are a lot of people wearing green today and I promise you I'm not making it up. I, I had no idea. I'd had a marvellous Moomba weekend and I'd completely forgotten that um, St. Patrick's Day existed. And there you go. For goodness sake, if the Archbishop is listening, I'm sorry I've said that out loud. Out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, while we're talking about these kinds of things, Crofty, you've got a really particular question sort of about the one that we're drinking and let's keep the sort of the theme of exploring this beer going. Crofty. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I, I, I noticed um, figs and that, that piqued my interest because I think this is potentially the third beer I've ever come across that has figs in it. I know, I know King River do a regular release of their fig porter, but they also have a whole bunch of fig trees in their car park that they harvest for that. Um, wh- where are you sourcing your figs from and, 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 and how are you processing those into the beer? Because I hear they're a bit of a bastard. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, our venue manager, Simon, who someone mentioned they love um, because he's fantastic. So of course they do. Anyone that's met him loves him. Uh, has a fig tree. And he's like, Nick, I've got some figs. I've got some figs. And I was like, I don't know what to do with figs. It's winter. I'm not making much sour beer at the moment. I was like, all right, let's put it in a stout. So we put, uh, it was like 15, 20 kilos of fresh figs. And then we got the same amount of dried figs. So they were, they were mm. imported because that's where all dried figs are from. And we pureed them up with the fresh figs uh, and pumped them into the tank as well. So we had this fresh and dry kind of And yeah, nice. So some, some local figs. Some local and some imported figs, yeah. yeah. Nice. I, I, I love dried figs as a snack to, to bite into. So I was like, that'd be great. And they, they kind of play with that Christmas cake theme. 
Um, Nick, does it make it quite sludgy and difficult to to brew? Like as like as because you can imagine figs are like a whole bunch of little seeds, mm-hmm. and dried figs are like dried skin little seeds. So, yeah, I'd imagine it wouldn't be easy. Short answer is it's not. <laughs> Uh, long answer is I, I made the request of uh, my brewers uh, on a day that I wasn't actually in the brewery and they weren't overly happy about it uh, when they had a lot of trouble getting it into the tank. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's what I kind of expected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so with the with the dried figs, we actually tried to rehydrate them and um, mm. uh, soak them up and pasteurize them a little bit uh, because this beer's got a reasonable amount of residual sugar compared to a lot of the other beers we make. So we didn't want any kind of wild yeast getting in there to munch down and explode cans. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I get, yeah, cool. I can totally get both the fresh and the dried fig flavours. You know, the dried fig for me almost has some of those sort of sherry and sort of other really interesting notes about it. I get those, you know, at the top, but, there's that little earthiness of those seeds coming through as well, which I think is beautiful together. And and I think that's a really good call, David. I think there's a little bit of like a cola thing coming through the spice and the earthiness kind of makes sense with all of those things, like that seediness and the earthiness. Yeah. Pretty right. tasty beer. Awesome. Yeah. It's it's a ripper. Look, the other question, uh, Mark at Seaford, thank you, Mark, as ever, for your support, brother. Uh, asked the question, but he doesn't trust his internet to, to ask it himself. So I'm going to ask on his behalf. Um, when you were kicking off as a brewery, you know, did you know that cans was the way to go or did you think about bottles or were there growler fills and things on the way? You know, it's been interesting even in the time that we've been doing this, 125 episodes that we've seen a real trend away from bottles into cans. But from the beginning, did you know what you wanted to do? I mean, I, I before I launched Molly Rose, I went travelling for four months around the world investigating beer cultures and traditions. Wonderful. Um, I must start a brewery or at least pretend to Josh Frydenberg that I'm going to so that I can go <laughs> and do that. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great four months. It was expensive and, like, not overly healthy, but it was a lot of fun. And did you write it off on tax? Oh, look, you've got to earn money to pay tax. Valid point. Mm, good. Um, good. And brewers don't really earn much money, uh, let alone brewers travelling around the world. Uh, but yes. <laughs> um, so I saw America and I saw what was happening there. And I saw the trend in Australia because I was a brewer before I owned my own brewery. Uh, and then the UK as well. Um, also the environmental kind of reasons. They're much lighter. You fit more on a pallet, transport's better. Uh, like there's, there's a whole stack of reasons why cans are quite a bit better for drinking. They also cool down in eskies better and they fit in fridges better. Like just they, they, for me, they're just like, if you remove all previous bias, they're actually just a better vessel. I think I personally think I'm not saying that if somebody thinks glass bottles are better, they're wrong. But I personally think they're just kind of in terms of getting beer to a customer and then having it cold. And I think it's just better. Yeah. You, you, you won't get an, an argument out of me. And that's as, you know, not only just a person whose job it is to ship beer 
interstate and so forth, that glass just fills me with nervousness until I get a message that it's arrived safely. But it's it's just cheaper and more environmentally friendly. It's just so much a better idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a, one more question at least in the uh, Zoom room. Um, James, are you ready to unmute yourself and ask your one? Yes. Um, you look very surprised, brother. Hear from you. I'm a long-term fan of Molly Rose. Um, I wanted to ask you about if you have any perception about any new hop trends. I mean, I, I think a bunch of us have really enjoyed the Nectaron Kvik recently, and I wondered if you had picked up on any new hops that might be on the horizon that might add to your portfolio. Yeah, well... Maybe not new, new hops, but for for me, New Zealand hops are very new. Um, when I, when I was coming up in the, in the, the beer industry, uh, it was when New Zealand hops were blowing up all over the world. And I guess Australian were a little bit behind and I think New Zealand was struggling to keep up. And so they were releasing a lot of like maybe overripe shit hops and they had a really bad rep in Australia for just armpit, cat piss, diesel. It was just gross. And I hated every beer that had New Zealand hops. So I haven't actually used them up until maybe the last 12 months. Yeah, right. That's a pretty big, that's that's almost the scoop of the night, I reckon. That's it the is, 820 yeah, scoop. Yeah. yeah. Well, New, Ze- yeah, New Zealand's that's a pretty sick made. burn. I haven't, I haven't used them in the past for those reasons and, yeah, have been brought around to it through things like, yeah, Nectaron. Uh, that's a cracker of a hop. And then, yeah, I've used a bit of Nelson and then, yeah, Waiiti in the lemons, uh, when life gives you lemons, has made that beer just take – it's made me fall in love with it again. It's 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 taken that beer to another level and I I could not be more proud of that beer. And, yeah, Waiiti plays a big part in it. We've actually reduced the amount of dry hops we use and just used one single dry hop now and it's better than it ever has been. Um, so – yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have a, a new hop. Uh, long story short, I don't personally don't have a new hop. Um, but yeah, New Zealand hops are new to me, and I'm loving using them. It, it could have been Rewaki. Could have just told me you've got a thing with Rewaki coming, and I would have been happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you'd be like, "Oh, that's ten year old hop, Nick. You're behind the game." <laughs> well, I think it's a cracker of an answer. Uh, that's why I love the fact that we have audience questions because you never know exactly what's going to come out. That's a, a really interesting answer to that question. That's fascinating. Um, let's wrap things up on the recorded portion of things. Uh, Nick, you are very welcome to stay around while the rest of us drink through the other eight beers in the pack tonight. <laughs> there are still five of those available online. I know I keep saying that. Uh, thank you to you. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Warren. Uh, just to let people know that we've had some issues with getting the Nernia Erbis from uh, Norway through customs. They're here in the country. I've seen photos of them here in the country. Someone has gone out and cited the cases. Uh, but that probably means we're going to need to push that one back. So our next official addition uh, together is going to be the Embolden uh, Brewery from San Diego, which will be on Sunday uh, Sunday, Sunday week, I think, Sunday uh, the week. 27th. 
And uh, that should be a cracker. I think there's going to be, there's five much tasting packs left. And if we've got anything left out of that, then we'll put those beers out separately. But a huge thank you as ever to everyone who buys the monthly tasting pack, which means that we can deliver efficiently and happily. Great cold beer to all of you people. Nick, a big, big thank you, brother. You've been very generous with your time tonight. Thanks very much, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks, Warren. Cheers.